It's great to see everybody here in church this morning. What a good-looking crew we've got here today, and I'm sure the same is true over at our Spanish Trail campus. Welcome to all of you Spanish trailers this morning. We love you all. Hey, I'll be over there next Sunday preaching the gospel live. And so I look forward to that. Pastor Eric Mitchell will be right here where I'm standing here at the Nine Mile Campus, and we're just going to tag team, and I'll get to be over uh, there with those precious people. We're delighted to be here uh, at the Nine Mile Campus where I am this morning, and what a wonderful time that we've had celebrating and worshiping the Lord. Y'all ready to get into the Word this morning? Would you say amen? We are well prepared from a worship perspective today for sure. So take your Bible and be finding the end of Jonah chapter 2, and we'll make our way into the first part of Jonah chapter 3 this morning. If you're new at Hillcrest, uh, we are in a series of messages on the very brief little book from the midst of the Old Testament known as Jonah. And today, I want us to spend a few minutes talking about one of life's greatest gifts, and that is the undeserved gift of a second chance. Anybody in the house this morning ever felt like they needed a second chance? After significantly fouling the ball, a significant major mess up in your life. All of us know what it means to fail and to feel the effects of failure and disobedience. And you know, one of the reasons that second chances I think are so important is because all of us have that very tendency of not always getting it right the first time. The saying is true, nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect, you're not perfect. The only person who ever walked planet Earth that was perfect was the Lord Jesus Christ, who never needed a second chance. But all of us who are broken by sin oftentimes do. And when we mess up, one of two things I think inevitably happens in life. Uh, One is that sometimes you're just written off. You can have a major failure in your life and there'll be others in your life and your family or your superiors at work or whatever the case might be that will just write you off as unpredictable and untrustworthy. But then there are others who will see great potential in you and who will see that failure as a means of education and as a means of growth, as an avenue to maturity. And they'll be willing to give you a fresh start I'm very thankful this morning that we serve a Lord who is a lot like that, a Father who has made us. And when we fail, those failures come as no surprise to God. He is an omniscient Lord who knows everything about us. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? You can't think about that for a minute. You can't surprise God. Oftentimes, I've used the term disappointing God. I'm not sure because God is an omniscient God that God can really be disappointed. He knows everything that we're going to do before we ever do it, and that's one of the great things about God. In His grace, He approaches us in our time of failure, and He sees that failure as a means of growth and as an opportunity to begin again. And if there was ever a man who needed a second chance in terms of of his walk with the Lord, if there was ever a man that needed a fresh start, would you not agree with me this morning based on what we've seen thus far? It was the prophet known as Jonah. Jonah, of course, was a Old Testament prophet who had deliberately disobeyed God. God had given Jonah specific instructions 
of what his next mission was to be. It was not to be to the nation of Israel, but it was to take the message of the gospel to the Gentiles, really for the first time in kind of a categorical kind of way that we see being played out through redemptive history. This was the first time a prophet of God called by God had been intentionally sent to a pagan neighbor of Israel. And Jonah was that initial prophet given this very important responsibility. Go to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, that great bloodthirsty wicked nation, idolatrous in every respect, that would prove themselves to be the greatest threat to the national security of the nation of Israel. Go, Jonah, to those people and preach to them a message of repentance that they might respond and be forgiven of their sin. But Jonah refuses to go. He was angry at the call because he was angry with the people to whom he was called. He refuses to go out of spite, out of fear, out of sheer rebellion, because he considered what it would mean to call these hated enemies of the nation of Israel, the chosen of God, to repentance. He wants no part of it. And so he resists the call of God and the will of God, and he rebels, hopping a ship bound for the most distant port that he could find, 2,000 miles away off the coast of southern Spain, known as Tarshish. And at that moment that he boards that ship in the port of Joppa, Jonah becomes, as it were, a fugitive from grace. Now, if we're honest, a lot of us in the room are just like Jonah. There may be some Jonah types in the room this morning. We like to talk about the importance of obeying God, but we want to obey God enough, just enough to make us feel good about our religious experience in terms of our relationship to God. We'll obey God in certain areas of life, but conveniently disobey in others up to the point where obedience to God will cause us to have to sacrifice something in our own life that we consider non-negotiable. And once God invades our bubble, as it were, and starts getting a little bit too personal, it's at that point that we run from God. Some refuse to obey God, for example, in the area of relationships. Y'all know what the Bible says about marriage. You know what the Bible says about human relationships. You know what the Bible says about sexuality and expressing sex, but the reality is you've determined to live out a relationship according to your own terms. And because God's commands get just a little bit too personal, we turn a blind eye to what God says about romance and what God says about relationships. We make a determination, that's one area that I'm just gonna hold to myself and I'm gonna do it my own way. Some refuse to obey God when it comes to money, when it comes to giving. Or you might drop a five or a 10 in the plate from time to time, but you will not tithe. You know why? Because your money is your security. You care about more about your assets than you do about your relationship with God. The money is what provides meaning in your life. And so when obedience to God gets a little bit too close to comfort, a little bit too close to home, upsets the apple cart, we're no different from Jonah, really. It's at that point that life gets too personal with God, too invasive, and we turn and run, just like Jonah. But Jonah found out very quickly that even though he thought he could run from God, he could not hide from God. God comes after Jonah with this relentless pursuit, yes, to 
punish the disobedience of Jonah in one sense, but more to the point, God comes calling with grace to give Jonah a second chance at a right response. He sends a storm, he sends great winds, great waves, and then he sends, of course, this mysterious great fish to swallow Jonah, and it's in that isolated setting, that divine timeout that we talked about last week. The Jonah reviews his life. God has him in a place where he cannot resist and he cannot twist and he cannot shimmy and he cannot shake. He has to focus on what's really important in life and it's in that confining environment that Jonah recognizes the love and the mercy and the grace of God and the importance of obeying God at all cost. And he repents of the rebellion that landed him in that divine timeout in the first place. And God graciously gives him a second chance to obey. Really, based on what we saw last week, God not only gives him a second chance at obedience, God gives him a second chance at life itself. Look with me this morning, beginning in the last verse of Jonah chapter 2, verse number 10. Y'all ready to read? Say amen. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, let's just stop there for today, and let's talk for a few minutes about the right response to a second chance. But before we get there, let me make just a couple of observations about second chances in general. May I do that? First of all, I want you to notice that you and I are never to presume that God will offer us a second chance. That would be presuming on the grace of God. I love the way that Jonah 3 begins. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, which is an important statement because it points out the fact that Jonah needed a second opportunity to get right what he should have gotten right the first time. He needed an opportunity to start over. He needed an opportunity to begin again. Louisa Tarkington has written a poem called The Land of Begin Again, which says in part, I wish there were some wonderful place called the land of begin again, where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never be put on again. Oh, I wish that there were some wonderful place called the land of begin again. Don't you wish there were a land of begin again? Well, there can be in terms of your relationship with the Lord. That's the land that Jonah found by the grace of God, the place where God helped him start all over again. But you know something, when we talk about second chances, I do feel compelled to say this morning that God is under no obligation to offer you one. And that's why instant obedience, quick obedience, 
Obedience without procrastination, when God opens up his mouth and speaks to your heart regardless of what it's about, whether it's about a call to salvation or a call to mission or a call to service or a call to being involved or a call to a certain relationship or whatever the case might be, it's so important that when God first speaks, you and I not only hear his voice, but rightly respond to the move of God. Because one thing you can never do is put God in a box. I, I can't say that I know exactly how God's going to deal with you in your life and how God's going to deal with your disobedience. God will always deal directly with disobedience if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, no question about that. But he may deal with your disobedience differently than he deals with my disobedience, differently than he de dealt with Jonah's disobedience. The truth is God may offer you a second chance to do what he told you to do the first time. But then again, he might not. I mean, you look in Scripture and you find several examples of, of the people of God, God's people, who never got a second chance to do what they should have done in the beginning. Adam didn't get a second chance. He didn't lose his relationship with God, but he never got to go back to the garden again, did he? He was cast out of the garden, no second chance at the way life used to be with God before he made a decision to bow to self and go his own way. Moses didn't get a second chance to enter the promised land, did he? He never lost his relationship with the Lord, but he never got to take his people, the very people that God called him to lead out of slavery, he never got to take them into the promised land because he struck the rock rather than speaking to the rock as God clearly told him to do. And he never got a second chance to take the people of God into the land of Ananias and Sapphira, do I even need to go there? Never got a second chance. They lied to the elders of the assembly and God judged them right on the spot. Now, I don't want you to confuse the issue. Does God ever refuse us when we are contrite in terms of our disobedience repent of our sin? Does God ever refuse us when we need a fresh start with him spiritually? Never. There's always an opportunity to begin again spiritually with God. Does God ever withhold forgiveness from someone who genuinely seeks to be forgiven for the wrongs of their life and the guilt of their past? Never. If we confess our sin, God is what? Faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so mark that down. I mean, God always offers a second chance to mend spiritual brokenness and to establish a right relationship with himself. The Savior is waiting even today to give you an opportunity to repent of your sin and step into the bounds of eternity into an everlasting relationship with himself. The mercy of God is ever available to those who would seek the presence of God. But God may not give us a second chance to accomplish what might have been accomplished if we had obeyed God when he first spoke to our life. Because one thing you cannot do is presume upon the grace of God. That's nothing more than the proverbial license to sin. I can just disobey. I can do whatever I want with my life. God will forgive me and God is somehow obligated to get me wherever I choose to be in life. No, forgiveness and restoration and a chance to start over are always there. But there are certain opportunities that may well be lost when you crown yourself king or crown yourself queen of the universe 
and you make a decision to say no to God and turn your back to God and run the other way. Now, as wonderful as the story of Jonah and the great fish is, I'm sure that God's desire was for there to have been no need for a great fish to begin with. Isn't that right? I'm sure that God would have been just fine with there been, having been no need for a great fish story to even be included in the Bible. Because here you have an exemplar prophet who heard the word of God and said, absolutely, even though it cost me my life, I'm willing to trudge. I'm willing to char- charge hell with a proverbial squirt gun and go right into Nineveh, right, with the gospel of God. But Jonah gets the opportunity for a do-over here. Even though God's will would have been there would have been no need for a storm, no need for a fish story, no need for a great plunge into the Mediterranean. God's grace was great to Jonah. But I do think we'd be wrong to presume that the same thing will always happen to us if we willfully disobey God willy-nilly. Whenever you decide to resist the will of God and the call of God, God will deal with you in ways that are according to his sovereign plan for your life. The important takeaway is simply this. Whenever God speaks, obey quickly. Everybody tracking with me, say amen. A second thing that I think we should notice about second chances is that they, they are the fruit of personal repentance. A second chance always comes to someone who recognizes the reasons behind the blown first opportunity and responds in a right spiritual way, and we kind of entered into this discussion a little bit last week, and that always involves personal repentance because a second chance is the result of a blown first chance, a first opportunity gone amiss. You've sinned, you've disobeyed, you've made a wrong move, or you failed to make a right move, and before you can become useful to God in whatever mission that he's guiding you into, your heart has to first be right with God. Now, make no mistake, and I think you would agree with me, that God could have used anybody to preach to the Ninevites. Jonah was not the only preacher on the planet, isn't that right? There were others that God could have called, others that God could have easily used. I mean, God used a simple bush to speak to Moses. He didn't even use another human being, right? So God could have shown up himself in some form of theophany to the Ninevites. He didn't even have to use a human being. And when God wants to accomplish something big, I'm just saying as long as there's fire in the bush, any old bush will do. He didn't have to have Jonah. In fact, it's probably a good thing that I wasn't running the International Mission Board of the Middle East back then because I might have pulled out a file and started to look at Jonah's Myers-Briggs report or his disk inventory or his results to his strength finder and say, you know what, I'm not sure we got the right guy here. What about Amos? There's that other prophet, the fig picker from Tekoa. He's doing a pretty good job. Maybe we should call Amos and send Amos over to the Ninevites. That probably is what I would have done. But God is sovereign and God is determined he's going to use Jonah. And before he can be useful, Jonah needs to have a right heart. And that's the purpose of the fish, isn't it? Once God got him alone in the belly of that great fish, Jonah had time to contemplate everything that he'd been through, everything that occurred up to that point. And the climactic moment of the great crisis of disobedience is when Jonah realizes that the only God he'd been worshiping was himself. 
and he forsakes that sense of idolatry as we saw last week. And he comes to understand that as a result, what he had missed was the very grace of God. And, and there alone in that fish, what does he do? He makes a vow of obedience to God. And it was at that point that the fish vomited Jonah up on dry land. In other words, he spits him up. I'm not sure exactly how that happened, how far the fish was out the sea, but he spits him up and at some point, Jonah washes ashore. And you know what God does? He gives the reluctant prophet a second chance at a right response. What Jonah really got was a clean slate. What Jonah found was the land of begin again. Some time ago, I read about a procedure at Murray State University in Murray, Kentucky. It was called Academic Second Chance. I'd never heard of such a thing before in the article that I was reading, so I read on, and it was for students who had earlier in their academic life washed out of the university. Maybe they were too immature at first and got too involved in the social scene. For whatever reason, they wiped out. They didn't make it. And their grades showed it, the proverbial flunk out they were. But then some time went past and they had time to mature a little bit. And they had time to get more serious with themselves and come to grips with their future and their lives and, and their families. And so the university makes this decision that for students like that, after an interview, they would be given the opportunity to re-enroll. And a part of that re-enrollment would be a petition to have all the previous courses where they had earned a grade of a C or lower completely expunged from their record. Now, I told y'all last week when I was a boy, there was no such thing as time out as a disciplinary tactic. When I was a student, there was no academic second chance. And what a wonderful gift it would be for someone who just went in and wasn't thinking or wasn't being very serious and they'd had time to grow up a little bit. All of those bad grades were just systematically taken away, never figuring into their grade point average at all from the point of their re-enrollment to the time that they graduated. And you know, so often that's exactly what happens in our life when the gospel gets hold of us. I mean, how many of us in the room would say, I spent so many of my early years wasting life as it was meant to be lived? I spent all those early years doing whatever I wanted to do. I lived for myself. I wasn't paying careful attention to what was really important in life. I totally missed my purpose in life as I now understand it. And there are many people that would testify for years they had to live with the consequences of those errors and those co the consequences of those mistakes, the consequences of those sinful choices. But then somewhere along the line, you mature. Somewhere along the line, you begin to wonder about life and you begin to ask yourself serious questions about who God is and what the real meaning of life is and what the purpose of life is. And you want to start over again, but you don't feel like you can because you feel like you're a flunky and you feel like you failed and you feel like you can never amount to anything in life. And this is where God in the gospel comes along and says to anyone, if you're really ready to turn your life around, I am willing through the grace of Jesus Christ, who is Lord and Savior, to wipe the slate clean and to give you a second chance at a right response. God is ready to take all the evidence of those past mistakes, all the guilt of the past, all the stain, 
and wipe it clean. When I was a boy, I used to play with an Etch-A-Sketch. Can you still buy Etch-A-Sketches? And when I was a kid, I mean, I've seen these artists that can do these amazing things on an Etch-A-Sketch. I never was able to do that. Mine was just a bunch of gobbledygook. And for so many of us, life before Jesus is nothing but a bunch of spiritual gobbledygook. But when I got tired of the gobbledygook, all I had to do was turn that thing over and give it a little shimmy and shake. And when I turned it back over, the slate was totally clean. And I'd found the land of begin again. And that's what you can find. If you're wise enough to listen to the voice of the Spirit of God and rightly respond when God speaks to you and calls you to himself. But that won't happen unless and until you're ready to repent of all the gobbledygook of your past. To repent of the disobedience that's resulted in whatever message you find yourself in today. Repentance is such a very important spiritual concept. It's what Jonah had to do in the belly of the fish in order to get to the land of begin again. Repentance is the on-ramp to the land of begin again. That change of mind that leads to a change of heart, that leads to a change of life, a complete repudiation of your past, a complete repudiation of the disobedience that landed you into that terrible quagmire, a complete repudiation of all that is unholy and antithetical to life lived in the holy kingdom of Jesus Christ. Repentance is a beautiful word because it's the vehicle by which we land in a good place, a place of usefulness with our Heavenly Father. Everybody tracking with me so far? A second chance. God's not obligated to give us one, but thank God when he does. It can be ours through the fruit of personal repentance. And then finally, when given the opportunity, I want you to notice that a second chance requires decisive action. Man, you need to understand second chance for what it is, an incredibly important grace gift from God. And the wise response is always a quick response. No more procrastinating. Procrastination, which is a sermon in and of itself, procrastination is one of the greatest of all sins, one of the deadliest of all sins. And Jonah came to the point where he wasn't going to put off obedience anymore. Look at the first verse of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now you notice the command of the Lord is exactly the same here in chapter three as it was in chapter one. The call did not change one iota, it was the same call. Jonah's just in a different place when he receives it this time. And the response on the other side of repentance, this side of repentance, is totally different from the one that we saw at the beginning of the story. In fact, the response of Jonah, I think, highlights three necessary components in a right response to a second chance. The first is attention, attention. And I think what you see here in Jonah is a heightened sense of attention. It's like what happens when a judge walks into a courtroom about the time that the verdict is required. When the judge comes in and everybody's expecting the verdict, 
when that judge comes in and when the jury and or when the jury comes in, everybody's focus is dialed in just a little bit finer. Would you not agree? Everybody's listening just a little bit more attentively. And now that Jonah is wallowing on this beach, no longer stuck in the throat of that great fish, he's managed to find his way to the beach. Fish slime still dripping out of his hair, serving as some form of Middle Eastern Palestinian hair gel in those days. Had to be a surreal experience. Can you imagine? Have you ever woken up from a dream that was crazy? And it took you just a few seconds to try to figure out what was reality and what you just came out of. There is a few seconds there in the middle of the night of confusion and trying to get the cobwebs clear and figure out what's real and, and what's not reality. And it was in that surreal experience, Jonah's trying to ferret out what just happened. And I think it's safe to say that whenever he landed on whatever beach this is, probably along the coast of Palestine there somewhere with fish slime all about him, that he realizes this was no dream. He knew it wasn't. He knew God was behind every bit of that. And so this man has a totally different disposition when God speaks the second time. Because he knew now that his arms were too short to box with God. It was a fight he wasn't going to win. So in the wake of this time of discipline, the wake of this time of correction, God has Jonah's undivided attention. And Jonah is determined no longer to ignore the voice of God, but instead to listen to the voice of God. And this is where the right response of a second chance begins. In the first response, Jonah wasn't even willing to listen to God. Now he is. And God is ready to do something with a heart that's wide open to the voice of God. Second component, obedience. We've talked a lot about that. That's one of the great lessons of the book of Jonah. The critical importance of instant obedience. Not only do you pay careful attention to what God has to say, you're quick to do what God tells you to do. And what does God tell Jonah to do? Arise and go. And what did Jonah do? Jonah got up and what? And went. That's the change. No more running, no more hiding, no more excuses. He learned to put his own personal feelings, his own personal desires aside, and he now submitted himself completely to the will of God. It was the heavenly father now that Jonah is bowing before, not the throne of his own life. And as we'll find out later on, Jonah still doesn't particularly like the assignment that God gives him, which kind of indicates that it's kind of only partial repentance. We'll get there. He didn't like it any more than he did the first time. But what did change about Jonah was that he gave God the benefit of the doubt. And he recognized the importance of saying yes to God. And that's how we know this is a different Jonah. Not only was he willing to listen to God, but he was willing to follow the Lord. And then finally, there's faithfulness. Attention obedience, and the final 
component of a right response to a second chance is faithfulness. Walking in faithfulness. Continual faithfulness. Jonah was faithful to the call. Even though he knew it could possibly mean harm, physical harm, endangerment, maybe even death. But this is what Jesus requires of every disciple. If anyone would come after me, he must what? Deny himself, herself, and take up their what? Take up their cross. That means a willingness to pay whatever price, bear whatever burden is necessary in order to fully follow God in faithful obedience. Let him deny himself and let her take up her cross and let him follow me. God tells Jonah to do three things here. Arise, go, and call out. Call out. The New International Version uses the word proclaim. Arise, go, preach is basically what he tells him to do. Arise, go, testify. Arise, go, minister the gospel. And that's what Jonah did. He paid attention, he obeyed and went, and he proclaimed the message that God gave him to give. That's just simply a word about faithfulness. Jonah probably wasn't the greatest preacher on the planet. Many people have said Billy Graham was never the greatest preacher in the history of the Christian church. His messages were just bone simple. Anybody can understand them. They weren't going to win any homiletical contests. And yet look what the man did to push back the darkness as far as faithful proclamation of the word of God. And Jonah probably was the same way. Certainly the message that he preached wasn't going to win any homiletical contest. It's a very short message. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. What is important is that Jonah took that simple message and he was faithful with it. And he rose and went and preached it and it changed his entire world. Several weeks ago, I preached about Peter. Peter is one of the great comeback stories of the Bible, isn't he? You remember when we preached about the question, we were doing the series on the Jesus method, the questions that Jesus asked. And one of those important questions was asked to Peter, do you love me more than these? That's right. And the reason that's such an important question is because that was a second chance for Peter, wasn't it? Peter disobeyed tremendously. Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet is incredible mercy and grace. It was a lesson of grace, just as Jonah needed to understand the grace of God so that he could minister the grace of God. Peter needed to understand the grace of Christ so that he could be useful to the Lord Jesus and minister the grace of Christ. And even though he'd failed miserably when Jesus was raised from the dead there in the 21st chapter of John, you see Christ approaching Peter lovingly embracing Peter, asking him, do you love me? Do you love me? Giving him an opportunity to rightly respond to the love of Jesus Christ. And Peter obeyed. He was faithful. Then you turn the page to the second chapter of the book of Acts and that great Pentecost message when Peter the dishrag has been turned into Peter the rock and he's preaching the gospel there in the hostile confines of the city of Jerusalem and in a single day, 3,000 people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what God can do with a repentant heart that turns to him in obedience and faith. He can use that life to change the world forever. God's under no obligation 
to give you or me or anybody else a second chance at a right response to the command that he gives. But when he does, we'd all be wise to do as Jonah did. Pay attention, obey quickly, and be willing to say to the Lord, wherever you lead, I will go. This is the word of the Lord. Let all who agree say amen this morning.